2: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Overspending on Amazon? Earn while you shop with Drop. Earn rewards on every purchase, online or in-store. Download Drop now and use code DROP11 to get $5 in points. Get rewarded for shopping today.
3: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McFormick. So, Robert. Yes. A horse, a rat, a, a dragon, and a metal pig walk into a bar. Okay. The dragon says... I'm a dragon everybody else leave and they do because he's a dragon.
1: <laughs> well that would that would make sense. We're of course talking about the Chinese zodiac here and you basically just uh described my family to a certain extent. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, because I am uh, my zodiac sign in the Chinese zodiac is horse. Uh my son's is dragon. Uh my and my wife's is actually pig, but for the longest she thought she was a rat. Uh, Wait, how can you be
0: confused? I thought it was just the year you were
1: born. Um, it's easy to make that mistake, especially if, you know, you're just sort of going on a, a surface level understanding of it, particularly if the surface in question is a placemat at a Chinese restaurant uh, That's exactly, the 1980s.
0: That is exactly <laughs> where I learned about the Chinese Zodiac first when I was a child in the, probably the early 1990s. Uh, I remember my family was one time eating at a Chinese restaurant and the placemat at my seat had all the drawings of the animals and years listed under them. And that's where I got to find out that I am a tiger which sounded really cool at the time but now it, it I find out that that's not such a cool thing. Yeah, it gets a little more complicated than that and and uh in, in, in
1: terms of just being able to easily mistake what your animal might be, it's because the um, the um Chinese zodiac is an uh, astrological birth chart based upon uh, uh, the lunisolar calendar year. So, so it doesn't just match the solar calendar that we use. Right. The months are lunar, but the years are solar. So that means it's a little off from the Gregorian calendar. Uh-huh. And there's a little bit of a drift on the relative start and stop points. So it, it, if you just look at the animal name and a year. You could get it wrong if you have a birthday in January or February mm-hmm. um, where we see this overlap. And your wife does have a birthday in January or February? Yeah, she has a February birthday. So for the longest, she thought that she was a rat. Uh, but in, in, in actuality,
0: she was pig. Now uh, there there are also elements associated with certain years, right? So she's not just a pig; she's what a wooden pig, an earth pig. Oh, she's a metal pig, which I think is the probably. <laughs> it sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, Metal Gear Solid Metal Pig.
1: Uh, yeah, there there are a- different v- astrological versions of each one. So you know, metal pig, water pig, wood pig, fire pig, and earth pig nice. would be the complete pig collection. Uh, and just to. to to give everyone an idea of where we are right now, as we're recording this in late January 2016, we are about to enter into the year of the fire monkey.
0: What, what was this previous year here? We are exiting the year of the goat. Okay. So bye bye goat. All babies born today still goats, but pretty soon they will be fire monkeys instead. That's right. Yeah. There are 12 different animals involved here in
1: the Zodiac. Uh, and they, they go in a particular order. You have rat, ox, tiger, rabbit, dragon, snake, horse, goat, monkey, rooster, dog, and then pig. And then it goes back around. Okay,
0: so we'll get to know those animals a little bit more as the episode goes on. But we should have a little disclaimer here at the beginning. If you were like, wait a minute, I thought we were going to be uh, talking about science in the science <laughs> podcast. So we are going to be talking about Chinese astrology in this episode. But it's worth noting that we're not necessarily endorsing Chinese astrology or any form of astrology or divination as an accurate tool for learning about reality but instead examining it as a thing that exerts a powerful influence over human culture and behavior.
1: Yeah, the mythology and the symbolism is fascinating and it's also potent in Eastern culture. And we can actually study uh, the ramifications of it from an economic standpoint, from birth rate standpoint. Um, It's all really interesting stuff. So, yeah, if you're if you're rolling your eyes at the astrology, bear with us because
0: we're going to get to numbers. We're going to get to the science. Okay. We should check in real quick with what the stuff to blow your minds, animal signs are before we move on. So as we said, I am a tiger, but it turns out I'm married to a rat. Uh, Rats run, run strong in this world and (laughs) I I appreciate their power and craftiness. Our other host on this podcast, Christian, Christian Sager is a snake married to a rabbit, which sounds like a very fortuitous union. (laughs) Yeah, and, uh. Noel, Noel, what are you again? Is
1: he a fire pig? I don't think we know. We know he's not a metal pig, but, uh, I'm not sure where he falls in line with the, uh, with the other uh, descriptors here. He's a magic pig.
0: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as we said, there are 12 signs in the Chinese zodiac, and if you're familiar primarily with the Western zodiac, there'll be some similarities and some differences. Now in the Western Zodiac, we primarily judge things by the time of the year that you were born. Yeah. It's seasonal in nature. And I think there are some other elements to the, traditional Chinese astrology, right? There there are things about the time of the day you were born or the time of year. But this this one thing that makes it onto the Chinese placemat, sort of the easily recognizable large scale view of Chinese birth characteristics in in this cultural form of astrology is based on the year you were born. Right. And there there are 12 years in this cycle that they are those 12 animals. And what's the story? Where do these animals come from? And where do we get these ideas about what their personality characteristics are? Well, this is the way the story goes. And this is just one version of the story. So if you
1: grew up with this uh, or have encountered it in a, a book somewhere, you may have a slightly different version in your head. But it rolls out like this. Uh, according to the legend, the Jade Emperor. So who's the
0: who's the Jade Emperor? Oh, he's the
1: he's the heavenly grandfather. He's a mythological ruler, very important in Taoism. He's an emperor in a, a myth rich ancient time. Okay? okay, and he wants to create a method of recording the passage of time. Okay, so he does the logical thing. He organizes a swim race on his birthday and invites <laughs> a bunch
0: of animals. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> now are these all water animals? Are they fish? N- no, none of them are water animals. <laughs> They're the ones we've been talking about before. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pigs and
1: goats and stuff. And plus, plus cat was also invited according to the, the version I read. So, so that would make it 13 animals, right? Yes. But, uh, as we're going to see, things aren't going to really work out for the cat all that well. And then this is a, this fun story, by the way, uh, I actually acted this out with my son yesterday using toy animals. So, uh, if, if you want to, if you need a, a rainy day activity, uh, for your, uh, your child, uh, I recommend this. That's so beautiful. Okay. So let's, let's roll with it. Jade Emperor says go. You know, the, the start, starter pistol goes off. Cat and rat are standing there. They're the slowest swimmers. So what they do is they ask to ride on the ox. But then once they're out in the water, the rat pushes the cat off into the water and the cat is, I guess, washed away by the current. And, uh, and then the ox moves in. And the cat, the rat jumps off of the ox's back
0: and gets there first. So first place goes to to rat. Okay. So the ox is fording the river, like an Oregon trail. Yeah. And the rat rides on his back, jumps ahead, so, sort of cheats. Is this maybe sort of cheating? Well, yeah, it's cheating, but he's, I mean, <laughs> he's also using his intellect and he's using,
1: he comes up with a creative way. He knows he's not a great swimmer. Mm-hmm. He knows the ox is pretty good. This seems like a logical plan. Yeah. Yeah. Rats are crafty. They're like Templeton in Charlotte's web. Exactly. So next comes the tiger. Just, you know, plunges uh, headfirst across. oh wait a minute. Can tigers swim? The cat can't swim. Why can the tiger swim? Oh, well, the cat can swim. The cat was just um, pushed off. Not a, a good swimmer. Not a good swimmer. The tiger can swim, makes it across. Next comes the rabbit. Rabbit's not a good swimmer, but the rabbit crosses the river by hopping on the stones. Mm-hmm. Then comes dragon. And dragon's, of course, going to be very important. We're going to discuss dragon in, in uh, more depth here in a bit. But... Being a flying cosmic creature, uh, he could have easily come in first. But uh, along the way, he realized he needed to stop and uh, generate some rain to control the weather and then continue on his way. So he wasn't even really that concerned with winning this thing. Uh-huh. He had more important duties
0: to attend to. Right. So he's a, a magnanimous runner up. He could right. have easily won by flying, but he he had other things on his agenda. Exactly. Now, next
1: comes. Uh. Well, my sign and Christian's sign. Uh, so here comes snake and horse. All right. Now, horse, pretty good swimmer. So horse is going to just swim across the river. Snake sneaks uh, aboard, wraps around the horse's leg. And then when the horse is about to climb out of the river and earn its place, uh-huh. horse sees the snake, freaks out, because horses are afraid of snakes, and the snake jumps off and secures the next place in line, followed by the horse. It's a little trickery on the snake's part. Okay, I like these trickster animals. Yeah. <laughs> now, next comes in this order: goat, monkey, and rooster. But the interesting thing here is that they all apparently work rather well together. And uh, the Jade Emperor is very appreciative. of This They're a good, good teamwork. Guys. These three—did they build a raft? Did I read that? I believe so. I think that's in some of the the versions. Of, that's their their method of teamwork. Nice. Yeah. Otherwise, I guess you you know they could pile on each other's heads or something and walk across.
0: Yeah, that's smart. Okay, who's next?
1: Well, next comes Dog. Dog is the strongest swimmer of the bunch, but he's also easily distracted. So basically, he just played and splashed in the water for most of the race and then realized, oh, I need to actually get across. Man, our dog's great. (laughs) And then comes Pig, who, rather stereotypically here, falls asleep after eating during the journey. So he's a very late, uh, uh,
0: arriver to the other side. So this is in the classic tortoise and the hare story. The pig is the hare in this version. He just decides to take a nap. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh,
1: and then finally, finally the cat makes its way across the river after being betrayed by the rat earlier, but the cat is too late to qualify. So the cat does not make it into (laughs) the uh, official Chinese Zodiac and is instead just left on the outside, hating the rat for all eternity, man. That's harsh. Yeah. So it's a it's a, it's a fun little story. It's it doesn't give a perfect description of all the um the the the, the astrological significance of each animal, but gives you kind of a base understanding. And it's far better than some of the other there's actually one version where apparently the Buddha simply calls all the animals together and names years after them, which sounds like a pretty boring party. Yeah, why not have a river
0: race? <laughs> I mean, you can't make a reality show out of Buddha naming people. Yeah.
1: So Joe, let's just roll through these, uh, these various animals just one final time here to, uh, to just lay out their positive and negative attributes.
0: Yeah, because we will be talking about in this episode the personality characteristics that are typically attributed to each of these animals in the 12 year cycle. If you're born under the year, these are the attributes that are supposed to belong to you. So the first one we've got is the rat. Now, what do they say about the rat? Well, the rat is innovative,
1: opportunistic, very organized, but prone to uh, letting his temper
0: get out of the out of control and possibly his or her greed. Now, I've got to give credit where credit is due. I was reading this out loud to my wife, Rachel, last night, and mm-hmm. she was like, sounds like Walter White from Breaking Bad. And right, I was like, Walter White, that's exactly right. That is the perfect rat.
1: <laughs> OK, so it's a good sort of modern fictional embodiment. Uh-huh. Uh, next up. The uh, the ox, of course, the ox is honest, conservative patient,
0: but the ox can be stubborn when pushed and can be slow to start things. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a couple um uh fictional versions we came up with to match this sounds kind of like ned stark from game of thrones yeah kind of an honest respectable but conservative person another option i came up with is ellen ripley from the alien series Ooh, that's a good one you know because she is essentially a she's one of the few heroes who's really a rule follower she's all about obeying protocol we need to do the right thing here and not break quarantine You know, she she's conservative, but she's patient. She's on top of things, and she doesn't want to budge from her position. And unlike the astrological ox, she actually gets the cat across the river, Uh, (laughs) so to say. Oh, Jonesy. Okay, next we have the tiger, right? This is mine. Yeah. So they say about the tiger that the tiger is powerful, brave, and a risk-taker, but can also be very brash and offensive. Uh, Ruffle feathers cause trouble. So what came to my mind is Fox Mulder from the X-Files. Ah, yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's a risk taker. He's courageous. He stands up for what he believes in, but he really just makes people mad. You know? <laughs> he says the wrong thing and he makes offensive comments all the time. Ah, okay. I feel like, you know, the tiger character is one we probably see a lot in fiction.
1: Um, cause we like. We like characters like that. We like our characters to be strong and confident, but also have certain pitfalls. The one that comes to my mind, and this is because I'm currently watching AMC's Halt and Catch Fire, uh Lee Pace's character, Joe McMillan. Um Brilliant risk taker, but also just a, a life wrecking uh, idiot at times. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, next up we have the rabbit. Uh, gentle, talented, diplomatic, but maybe a little bit shy and sentimental. Okay, what have you got for the rabbit? The only, th- the, the only one that came to mind instantly here is Luna Lovegood in Harry Potter.
0: Oh, that's a pretty
1: good one, yeah. All right, next is in a very important one, dragon. Imagination, energetic, dramatic, but can be moody, can be a perfectionist, and uh, and of course, as we'll discuss, uh, there are destructive elements to the dragon as well.
0: Uh, you know, I had a hard time thinking of a good example of a dragon in fiction. Yeah. One that obviously came to mind is another one from Game of Thrones, Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah. But then again, I don't know how well she fits that, because I don't really think of her as dramatic or even necessarily moody. But certainly well, that that uh, imagination and energy and uh, she's very determined. Yeah, I think she she is prone to being a little moody, especially
1: later uh, in the uh, the series. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, it's not a perfect fit, uh,
0: though. Of course, she is the mother of dragons, so it 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 seems like it should fit. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to have too many Game of Thrones characters in this? It's just such a rich world to draw various character personalities from, I guess. Yeah. Well, the next one's Snake. The snake is graceful, intuitive and wise, but prone to stinginess and unscrupulous behavior. Who I guess. Do we have? Yeah. I guess this is what I was referring to here because it sounds like the spider, Lord Varus from Game of Thrones. There you o- go. Old Baldy. He is graceful. He is intuitive and he is wise, but he's not necessarily so full of scruples. <laughs> Well, the next one is horse, my
1: sign, and this one's, uh you know, characterized by being energetic, uh, spirited, optimistic, independent, but prone to impatience and unfinished tasks. Does that sound like you to you? Well, as we'll get into later, uh, just about any of these, you can see yourself in them if you want
0: to. That's you know? a good point. Yeah, we'll get into
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do see a bit of myself in that. Um and in terms of fictional characters it makes me think of uh, Clive Owen's Dr uh, John Thackeray on The Nick who is uh, you know very energetic and spirited but does not have the patience for rigorous scientific uh, investigation yeah. and will also just completely abandon a task if it's not really working out
0: you got to be you got to be cautious about those people who have an emphasis on getting things done <laughs> <laughs> You know, I haven't seen the Nick, but I've heard it's very good. Oh, I, I love it. I, I highly
1: recommend it, um, you know, for individuals who aren't too squeamish about a, uh, turn of the century
0: surgery scene. Okay. How about, how about the next one? Goat. They say, oh, yes. They say the goat is loving, gentle and creative, but maybe shy and reluctant to directness and set in their ways. <laughs> well, this one I thought was kind of difficult because that's not really the this
1: type of central character you tend to encounter in a, a story. Yeah. But it did make me think of Donnie from The Big Lebowski.
0: Oh, you know? yeah. Donnie, who loves surfing. He was sweet. Yeah. Loving and creative. All right. Next, we have the monkey.
1: When Again, we're about to enter into monkey. Uh, smart, happy, curious, energetic, but
0: prone to overconfidence and all the pitfalls that come with overconfidence. So the one that came to my mind based on this is Tony Stark from Iron Man. So this oh, is a guy yeah. who, who likes to have a good time. He's curious. He's full of energy. He's very smart, but he's kind of full of himself. Yeah. I think that's a good, a good fit. All right. Next up we have Rooster.
1: Rooster is punctual, reliable, independent, but maybe a bit conceited. This one was a hard one for me to. To really think about in terms of uh modern fiction but
0: yeah again how many characters can you think of that are known for punctuality yeah and being
1: vain without being just like movie vain or uh-huh. dorian gray vain the one that came to mind though is christoph Waltz's character uh dr king schultz in django unchained oh okay because he's a plant great planner he's loyal but he's ultimately brought down by his own form of vanity moral of a you know, a cultural, intellectual vanity, yeah, you know, a physical vanity. He can't walk away. He's got to make his point. Yeah, he's got to make his point, even if it's the most, it's the most disastrous choice in the movie. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we got two left. One of them is the dog. And what do they say about the dog? So the dog is gregarious, honest, fun, loyal prone to worrying, you know, whimpering in the corner. That's an interesting combination of things. Two people came to mind for me. One of them is another Big Lebowski character. It'd be the dude from ah, the Big yeah. Lebowski. So he's gregarious, honest, fun, loyal. He's all those things, but he also worries a lot. He's hmm. worried that they're going to cut off various parts of his body. Uh, another one that came to my mind is, have you seen uh Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Oh, yes. Netflix yeah, series. It. Kimmy Schmidt. She's a yeah. dog here. Uh, I, I think so. I mean, she's uh, uh in the Chinese Zodiac sense, very much gregarious, honest, loyal fun and prone to worrying another one that maybe came to my mind is gromit from wallace and gromit but that he's kind of disqualified because he's actually a dog (laughs) all right and then finally uh last place pig pig is noble strong fiercely loyal to family and friends though they can be difficult at times and can be a bit reckless this is this is another one I got a credit to my wife, Rachel. I was r- talking to her about this last night, and she was like, Mrs. Voorhees <laughs> from Freddie the 13th. But a strong
1: mother, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, well, another mother that comes to mind from Game of Thrones, Cersei Lannister, who, uh, for all her faults, and she has many, she's very loyal to her children, uh, specifically, and pretty much only to her children. You know, it's all about protecting her children, and she can be a bit uh, reckless uh, outside of that. robert you 've designed
0: websites before haven 't you
1: I have yeah, I mean I love a good website, but it can be so
0: tedious to yeah. try and manage to build one out of the tools in hand, yeah, without a really good suite of tools, it can just be such a pain getting the site to look the way you want to, to be easy and intuitive and, and work well for the person the audience you 're trying to reach with the website. But fortunately, it doesn't always have to be such a pain. That's right, because now we have a new set of tools at our disposal thanks to Squarespace. Right. Squarespace is there to make it easy, simple, intuitive, and very professional. So it gets you a site that looks professionally designed, even if you don't really have any skills with web design, or if you do, regardless of skill level, you don't need to know how to code a web page. Uh, and that's
1: crucial, because I feel like anytime I build or augment a website myself, I have to relearn very primitive coding. And you can get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Yeah, and we want everyone listening here to have the same opportunity. So why don't you start your free trial today at Squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code MINDBLOWN to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, the promo code is MINDBLOWN. The product is Squarespace. Go try it out and build that website you've been dreaming of.
0: Okay, so that has been the basic crash course on the, the, the very popularly broadly accessible version of the Chinese Zodiac. Uh, but now we want to get more into the specifics about the scientifically measurable effects of belief in the Chinese Zodiac, what people think about it, how it influences culture, and what uh, economic and sociological influences it might have. And I know what a lot of you are thinking, too, at this point, that it's one thing to think
1: about a seasonal Zodiac having its effect, right? You know, this individual was mm-hmm. born in winter, this one in summer, uh, etc. But, you know, how could everybody in a single year have the same basic personality type? It just... It's unbelievable. It's just ridiculous, really. Like, everybody born in the year of the dragon is not going to be this massive go-getter leader person. Uh, everybody born in the year of the rat is not going to be is not going to be this unscrupulous individual. So how does it work? How does it end up, uh, you know, playing into our perceptions of
0: self, uh, our perceptions of what our offspring should be and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, even how we should hire people. Yes. And now we're going to turn our attention to the dragon child, the children born in the year of the dragon. Why is the year of the dragon considered special in the Chinese Zodiac? Ah, well, this, this is a great question.
1: And, uh, and I promise I'm not going to spend an excessive amount of time here. Uh, we're going to, Maybe do an episode on dragons later on. Um, But but just to to be brief about it, you know, the Western dragon is this earthy, wormy, often downright infernal
0: creature. The Eastern dragon is a celestial creature. So there's a big difference here because in in Western mythology, the dragon is very often a monster, right? It's a thing that must be fought or defeated. It's a thing that causes havoc. It's, it's a threat. And it often is not very sometimes even not very sentient. I mean, it depends on which mythology you're going with. Right. Uh, But, yeah, it's a big, monstrous thing that's gross and you don't want it around. Right. Yeah. It's coiling up out of the ground, whereas the,
1: the celestial dragon of the east, the Chinese dragon is coming out of the sky. It's controlling the weather. It's controlling the, the flow of the rivers. It's controlling the ocean. It's all about potency and strength. It's a divine creature. It's sometimes a bearer of gods and uh, demigods, but often the dragon itself is viewed as a god or demigod in terms of its power. It's not only an important creature among the, the, the Han people, the primary ethnic group in uh, in China, but also uh, for the other 56 ethnic groups. The the dragon is, is old and just in, in pre-day. The other uh, uh, religions and philosophies that flowed into China, such as Taoism, Buddhism, mm-hmm.
0: um, Islam, uh, uh, etc. So it sounds like the the Listeners who are familiar with the Western dragon, just we're all going to have this stumbling block in our understanding of the significance of the dragon in Chinese culture.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, so often the, the dragon plays into creation myths. Uh, one in particular that I like, the Miao people of southwest China believe that the divine dragon lived in a cave and a bunch of monkeys came to the cave and the dragon breathed on the monkeys and turned them into humans. Oh,
0: man. Yeah. That also sounds like a perfectly adaptable creation myth of humanity if if you're a person who wants to fuse a traditional creation myth with modern evolutionary theory. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it sounds like, uh, I mean, I'm instantly imagining a dragon showing up in 2001,
1: A Space Odyssey. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it, I should also point out that occasionally you do have an evil dragon or a very destructive dragon, uh-huh. but for the, the, for the most part, even if they're destructive, it has more to do with their uh, tie to like primal forces of nature than uh-huh. anything. Um, another thing to keep in mind about the dragon is that they're basically two different um, ways to look at what their composition is. Uh-huh. Like you have to think, we, we have such a clear idea in our mind of what a dragon is, even an eastern dragon. It's a huge lizard with wings that breathes fire. Yeah, and, and it's it's very ornate and we tend not to think about, you know, what is this composed of. But uh, according to um, an excellent book, a handbook of Chinese mythology by um, uh, Liu Yang, uh, Deming An, and Jessica Anderson Turner, um, there are two ways to look at it. One, one is that a dragon is basically Crocodile, tornado, lightning river all sort of put together, (laughs) but you can also see the dragon as a composite of various fanciful images of other important creatures, uh, creatures that were important to to various tribes in ancient China that were then integrated Um, so that, you know, there's several different types of Chinese dragon uh, as the myths roll out over the the centuries, but you'll see interesting descriptions of their composite composite parts head of a horse tail of a snake. Ears of a
0: deer, horns of an ox, rabbit's eyes, clams, abdomen. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Clams, abdomen. Yeah. I mean, the abdomen of a clam or an abdomen just covered in clam shells. <sighs>
1: I don't know. I like both uh, interpretations <laughs> Uh fish scales, tiger paws, eagle talons. So it's interesting to think to, to me. I, I can't help but think, well, to what extent is not only the, the dragon, the only mythological creature on the Zodiac. Uh huh. He is also composed of elements from various other animals. It's the best of all possible worlds. Yeah, it's like, like an animal Voltron. So, yeah, the dragon is is big business. Um, people of China often re- think of themselves as the children of the dragon. Uh, the five-clawed dragon was an exclusive symbol of later dynasties. Uh, the Chang dynasty, from 1644 to 1911, uh, the flag featured a coiled dragon against a yellow background. So the dragon is just inherently tied with Chinese culture.
0: Okay, so you can definitely see why the dragon carries a lot of mythological and cultural significance, but what is it specifically supposed to mean for a child born in the year of a dragon? Because all of the animals we described in that long list of the zodiac, they all had admirable characteristics, mm-hmm. and the dragon just seemed like another one of them with some kind of general vague admirable characteristics listed. So so what it, what makes a dragon special? I mean basically I
1: mean you can list off a bunch of adjectives like honest, courageous, powerful, sensitive but basically they're a go-getter like they are they're the they're the kid that you want. You want your child to be this dragon that is fierce enough to uh to win at life but also, you know, humble and important enough to not get, you know, to not fall into the the rat's uh, situation of sort of cheating to get to the head of the line.
0: Yeah, so it is Primarily, it is an animal that is powerful and can get things done and and will move to the head of the pack, but is also concerned with duty, right? With uh, with helping others and with doing what it needs to do. You said it stopped to make the rain, and that's why it didn't win. It just wasn't all that bothered about winning. Yeah, according to to Chinese
1: astrology, the dragon, that's who you want leading your company, right? Leading your nation, not one of those tigers.
0: Yeah, because the tiger is another one that you could maybe think of as a go-getter. Remember that they're, they're courageous, they're powerful, they can get things done. But there is also, there are negative characteristics associated with the tiger. And in some Chinese cultures, it seems like especially in, uh, like Singapore and Taiwan or maybe Hong Kong, the tiger is considered an undesirable birth sign, or at least it has been in the past. There was a 2011 article by Jens Kastner in the Asia Times called Tiger Throttling Taiwan's Birth Rate. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it says that it lists some years of the tiger. It says whoever was born in 1950, 1962, 1974, 1986, my birth year, or 1998, tends to question authority and is therefore likely to cause trouble for himself, his family, or his employers at some stage in life.
1: Yeah, I think this was also the article that pointed out that some um, firms would actually hire a fortune teller to go through um, the applications that were coming in, to go through the resumes and look at the birth years. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, because in order to prevent tigers from coming in and wrecking your office place.
0: You know, another thing that's interesting is that the tiger is different than all of the other animals in the Zodiac in one important respect, right? Oh, yeah. It's
1: the the only real meat eater. Uh, I mean, the, the only real man eater, rather, on the list.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe you could, in some wild circumstances, maybe a pig or a dog or something could attack a person. But the tiger is the only one that's... a. Uh, definite human predator yeah it's a definite real world threat um, Do, don't get carried away by the way i don't <laughs> think that means you should go hunt tigers most of the time they don't attack people but we're saying potentially could yeah and and again back to your point it's not something you see just across the board
1: but certain areas are going to have more the stigma about the tiger than others in the same way that you'll go to other nations other nationalities and find the tiger as more of a
0: noble creature. Uh, so it, it just varies depending on where you are. Okay, so, but back to dragons. There's a general idea that dragons are successful and have good lives. There's good fate for a dragon. They're gonna get good grades. They're gonna find success in life. They're gonna bring honor to the family. They're, they're just gonna be good ones to have in your family. Are there any famous dragons you can list, uh, you know, born in the year of the dragon so we can see what a dragon looks like? Oh, yeah. And uh, and again, it's easy to put
1: together a list like this, right? Uh-huh. Because out of any given year, there are going to be some exemplary uh, examples of uh, of accomplishment and fame. So, you got Bruce Lee, you got actress uh, Maggie Chung, you got former Chinese paramount leader uh, Deng Xiaoping. You got Liam Neeson, John Lennon, Salvador Dali, Sigmund Freud, Pele, Guillermo del Toro, Stephen Colbert, Sarah Palin, Benedict Cumberbatch, Sasha Gray, Conor McGregor, Vladimir Putin, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Oh, okay, I'm sold. Randy Savage. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. T, Paul Rubens, Chuck Norris, Frank Zappa, Wayne Zire, John Gotti, Fred Savage, Che Guevara, Stanley Kubrick, and Philip K.
0: Dick, Richard Pryor, and Rashida Jones. Just to name a few. The only one I needed to hear was Macho Man Randy Savage. Now I understand. (laughs) The dragon fate leads to a Slim Jim ad deal. <laughs> now, you probably noticed
1: you know, we did have some uh, some some Chinese names on there, but most of those were Western examples. Uh, you know, and part of that is that we're more versed in Western pop culture uh, here than we are in uh, Chinese culture. But the other thing is when you start trying to pick out examples of Chinese dragons, yes, you'll find some some good examples, but. I actually was looking around, i poking around on the, uh, the top 10 entries on the Forbes China Celebrity 100, mm-hmm. uh, and I was looking at, uh, everything between 2004 and 2015. Again, the top 10, uh, the you know, famous, you know, Important people, uh, a lot of them in entertainment, but some uh, in business. And the only top tenor that uh, I found between 2004 and 2015 uh, that was a dragon was Chinese uh, director uh, Chin Kagi, who directed the acclaimed 1993 film Farewell My Concubine. Huh. Now this basically all means nothing, uh, but <laughs> but I think it is important to look at, you know, as we try to to figure out does. Does being born in the dragon, does being a dragon actually have any tangible benefit uh, on your life? And, you know, certainly not due to any kind of magical astrological reason, but due to just the importance that
0: is um, projected on you. Well, obviously, some parents seem to think so, because it turns out to be a fact that the dragon year has been a boom year for baby births in many Chinese cultures, right? Yeah. And this
1: is where we really get into, uh, you know, analyzing the tangible power of the thing. Uh-huh. To what extent does, uh, does the desire to have a dragon as your offspring, to birth a dragon, to, to what extent does that actually Influence the birth rate of a given population that is, you know, under the the power of uh, this superstitious thinking.
0: Now, you linked me to a really interesting piece on this by a writer named Rosie Sima, right? Yeah, this is a Priceonomics piece
1: and uh, 2015 piece, and uh, she does a a really good job just rolling through some of the statistics here. It was called "How the Chinese Zodiac Affects National Birth Rates." Yes. And another paper that found particularly helpful was a 1991 paper called "Creating New Traditions in Modern Chinese Populations: Aiming for Birth in the Year of the Dragon" by Daniel M. Goodkind.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was uh, published in uh, Population and Developmental Review. Okay, so what's the deal? What, what are the what are the stats on birth rates in dragon years tell us? Basically, and we're gonna
1: we're gonna break this down a bit. But basically, you do see spikes in particular areas. That line up with the, the year of the dragon.
0: Right. So this is supposed to I think what, what we were mainly looking at was measuring fertility rates among ethnic Chinese in Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore and other places. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, Peninsular Malaysia yeah. And, uh, and other parts of, of Asia. And
1: that we also looked at data for mainland China for the People's Republic of China as yeah. well.
0: Okay, so let's look at one. Uh, let's look at one non-dragon year to dragon year transition, and what what does it look like? Okay, well, one of the big ones here, one of the the the, the most impressive
1: areas in the stats in seventy six and eighty eight, fertility rates among Chinese in Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, Peninsular Malaysia, and other parts of Asia surged, and in eighty eight. Particularly, the rabbit to dragon increase in Singapore and uh, peninsular Malaysia was a whopping 24 to 26 percent. Wait, so it... It went up by 24 or 26 percent. Correct. That's unbelievable. Yeah. To put this in perspective, the only other times we see surges of this magnitude in the birth rate, uh, it involves something really major happening. For instance, 1966, the prohibition of abortion in Romania caused a a substantial spike
0: like this. I guess I could imagine maybe at the conclusion of a civil war or some other huge human disaster that was preventing births.
1: Yes. uh, I mean, a particular example of that also comes from China in 1962. Too, uh, as uh, everybody's recovering from the uh, the famine of the Great Leap Forward. Huh. So, some other examples: in two thousand, uh, Hong Kong saw more than a five percent rise in the number of births, uh, according to official data. Just to be clear, that's another dragon year. And when questioned about this uh, in in various polls, um, the parents. There are parents who are saying, yes, we were trying to aim for that dragon year. In 2011, 2012, during a BBC poll, uh, prospective parents in Hong Kong, Taiwan and Singapore all admitted to consciously timing their pregnancy for a dragon year. Uh, In that same year, by the way, China was anticipating a five percent birth rate increase. That's mainland China uh, itself. They didn't quite hit that, as
0: we'll discuss in a bit. But uh, but there was a there was a boost. Now, I expect this would be interesting to see in contrast to what I bet you'd find in especially some of these areas, which would be a generally downward trending birth rate, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly matching
1: up with some of these uh, signs that are viewed as less desirable, such as the tiger, as we've already mentioned. Uh, in 2010, Taiwan's fertility rate was already trending downward. Uh, but then year the tiger hits, and the drop uh, made it plummet to 0.895, one of the lowest in the world. Huh. Yeah and then uh, the then 2012 dragon year 2 years later it brought the fertility rate back up to 1.27 higher than it had been in almost a decade That's interesting because the tiger and dragon years come pretty close together right Yeah yeah it's tiger rabbit and then dragon so you know if you're If you're skipping tiger year, you could aim for rabbit or I guess you can just hold on and then try and calibrate uh, your reproductive schedule so that you hit dragon instead of rabbit. Man, to be that rabbit caught between the tiger and the dragon. It's worth noting that those population, these population trends have an impact on a number of factors, from just an individual dragon's uh, school experience, and college aspirations, to the effects on institutions and services. I mean, imagine a hospital or school rolling with the lull and boom of tiger and dragon
0: years. Oh, yeah. Or imagine if there's a huge surge in, in the number of children during a dragon year. Imagine the year all of those children start leaving school and entering the workforce. Right. I mean, there's going to be a suddenly way more supply of, of adult workers than there was then the market was prepared to absorb. Right now, at this point, you're probably saying thinking to yourself,
1: well, hey, Robert and Joe, uh, Chinese zodiac's been along for been around for thousands and thousands of years. So surely the dragon surge uh, has been in effect for thousands and thousands of years. I don't think there's any evidence of that, is there? No, the evidence uh, seems to uh, suggest the, the, the opposite, that the dragon effect on birth
0: rates has only been uh, in effect since the 1970s. Huh. Now, why would that be? Surely now what I would not suspect is that more people started believing in astrology in the 1970s. Right, and and certainly
1: it it would. It seems like it was. It's the opposite. I mean, there are certainly still going to be individuals who heavily believe in it, and it still has just a lot of cultural power over mm-hmm. people and just symbolic power. But you know, as modernization takes hold, uh, and especially uh, in in communist China, uh, there is uh, for a while a tendency to move away from old beliefs
0: and uh, and and certainly superstition. Uh Uh-huh. Though we will definitely talk in a little bit about exactly to what extent true belief in in the power of the Zodiac really figures into this. Like, how deeply do you have to believe in it to time for a dragon birth? Right.
3: Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day.
4: Tired of boring lunches? Picture
2: this. You're at Chipotle ordering the same old burrito bowl. But wait, there's more excitement in store than just guac. Introducing Drop, the ultimate rewards app. Just link your card, dine at your favorite restaurants, and you'll earn points to get free gift cards from tons of brands. It's like getting paid to eat. Hungry for savings? Download the Drop app now and use code DROP44 to kickstart your rewards journey with $5 in points.
1: Now, you know, one of the big factors, obviously, is that uh, you see birth control becoming uh, more of, a, of an option, right? In because, the 1970s. Yeah, it mean? becomes widely available in the affected areas. So family planning becomes more of a reality, planning around finances and ambitions, but also the ability to plan around the astrological calendar. Oh, that makes sense. So that is an argument that is generally
0: made um, for, you know, for why we see this modern boom. Yeah, and there's a parallel that goes along with this in this often cited paper on this subject called The Influence of the Chinese Zodiac on Fertility in Hong Kong SAR by uh, Paul S.F. Yip, Joseph Lee, and Y.B. Chung, right? Yeah, they point out that prior to the
1: 1970s, yeah, there was just no, there was no family planning at all, really. You just had kids for as long as you could. You just grew the family as large as you could, and that was, that was life. <laughs> you might you'll have a dragon in the family. Maybe you'll have a tiger. You will have a horse. But that's just how things rolled out. But then, of course, the the age of, uh, of contraception uh-huh. begins to change that. Uh, certainly, um, you reach the point in the late 1970s where uh, the People's Re- Republic of China rolls out the one child policy. And uh, this, it's believed, might have had uh, an effect on um, zodiological uh,
0: birth timing. As well. Now that brings us to another interesting question, which is the the mainland China itself, the People's Republic of China. We've been talking about places like Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, Malaysia, Taiwan, but there seems to be some disagreement, uh, or at least some ambiguity, in the numbers about to what extent this phenomenon has presented itself in in China, right? Yeah, because you you just don't see those same spikes
1: in, in the data for mainland China at least until 2000, if
0: not 2012. Now, I, I have to admit that I was a little I was a little confused by the numbers here because I was seeing some conflicting reports about whether this uh this dragon birth surge does show up in China or not for the past couple of cycles. Yeah, because um on one hand I saw a stat
1: that said uh China's crude birth rate was six point eight percent higher in two thousand. Uh but then some uh other data, particularly uh some data in that um priceonomics uh paper uh seemed to to show it as being rather flat for two thousand. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you do look at uh, the statistics from uh, 2011, 2012, 2013, according to uh, the website Statistica, the number of Chinese births went from 16.04 million in 2011 to 16.35 million in 2012. So there was a 1.9% bump uh, in the birth rate then. Uh, But then in the years to follow, you see 16.4 million births in 2013, 16.87 uh, million in 2014, so the growth continues regardless of the sign. Huh. Uh, oh, okay. Now, there are different, you know, there are different ways to, to look at that. Uh, uh I've seen it argued that, that essentially the population is just so vast in mainland China that any, um, any boost that's taking place in various regions is just going to be lost in the just just in the the weight of the uh, of the population data
0: right so there might be some parts of the culture where the dragon births do prevail but th- it's just become such a small blip on the radar of Chinese population dynamics that it doesn't really show up as a very strong trend yes to see the strong trend you have
1: to look to Taiwan Singapore those other examples okay now this brings us back to the question of why right yeah why is why is in a modern setting why is this this ancient uh, superstitious manner of thinking? Why is this suddenly exerting more control in some areas uh, of, of Chinese culture? Well, few things to, to keep in mind here. First of all, this first point comes to us from a paper, Creating New Traditions in Modern uh, Chinese Populations Aiming uh, for Birth in the Year of the Dragon. This is that Goodkind article. Mm-hmm. Uh, it points out that Chinese astrology traditionally places more emphasis on the day and hour of the birth rather than the year. Huh. So, uh, because if you break down the traditional Chinese day, it's composed of twelve hours, one for each uh, animal that we've already mentioned. Um, so, therefore, the roots here seem to be perhaps less the 2,000 plus year tradition of Chinese astrology, and rather it's more a matter of a, a cloud of loose modern folk beliefs.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So it's not so much that people are are deeply superstitious or deeply involved in you know ancient Chinese magical beliefs. But there is more just kind of like it's the placemat zodiac. Yeah. It's the the most easily accessible and, and broadly available impressions of the of the Chinese zodiac that filter through into having large effects on culture.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's except it's not only on your menu, it's it's in your house, it's in the park, it's part of it's just the, the shadow of it is just unavoidable. So as you find yourself in a modern setting where you're you, you get to be choosier about Everything regarding your family, you get to be choosier about how many cho- children you have, regardless if you uh, live under the the one child policy or not. Uh, you have all these choices you can make, you know, choices based on you know what the kid's going to wear, when the kid's going to be born, uh, what kind of school schooling is going to be involved there, uh, and so the, the the superstition ends up weighing into that choice, right? hmm. Another factor to keep in mind here, and this is uh, brought up by uh, by Goodkind in his article, is that, uh, you know, we we make arguments about modern contraception and their role. Right. That was one explanation offered right. for why this didn't show up until the 70s. Yeah, because suddenly people can choose uh, when they're going to have kids. But as he argues, ancient texts indicate that they're. There were various methods on the table to adjust sexual behavior and aim for the dragon birth if that's what a couple wanted. Huh. You mean, you had infanticide, you had, um, you know, abortive agents you could get from an, a Chinese apothecary, but, uh, of particular note, uh, for Goodkin was, uh, Taoist practices of, uh, of semen retention. Huh. And this, uh, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here too much, but, um, but basically, this gets into uh, yin and yang and uh, male and feminine energy and this uh, Taoist idea that if you could control your ejaculation and ejaculate less semen, During intercourse, then you could better retain your yang energy and possibly even absorb uh, a little bit of your partner's uh, yin energy. You wrote about this
0: in uh, you had a post about the fox spirit, didn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, it it plays into that a little bit because the fox spirit is a a feminine creature that can drain you of your vital yang essence. Basically, the main idea here is that there were were various uh, pseudo uh, um, alchemical sexual practices <laughs> to control ejaculation. And granted, the the emphasis here wasn't on contraception; it was more on you know, this magical belief system of yin and yang. Uh, The ancient Chinese knew how reproduction
0: worked. They knew how where babies came from. So you're saying like even a long time ago before modern birth control, if they were really concerned about timing for dragon births, they could have done it.
1: Yeah. If there was a real tangible cultural emphasis put on aiming for that dragon birth, they, they could have done it if they wanted to. Now, Goodkin also argues that the snake year, which comes immediately after the dragon, may also have a role here, because that could be viewed by some as a bad birth year, thus affecting the the
0: phenomenon, right? Making people want to get in there early. Kind of double it up, right? Right. Like, if you're going to have a kid, it's beneficial to have a dragon, and then right after that is a snake, which some people might not want. Better, yeah, better to hit the dragon before the snake, or hit horse
1: afterwards. Unless you're in South Korea, which also uses a form of uh, of the Zodiac, um, where horse males are apparently favored and horse females are not. And the gender ratio of births in horse years skews male. Huh. And the reason here is, on one hand, uh, you know, uh, abortion uh, may play a role, the, the aborting of uh, female offspring, uh, but also misreporting a birth date in order to hit a more desirable Zodiac year. So if you're on the fence, if your kid's on the fence of possibly being a horse- and you don't want her to have that kind of association, then you could uh, just say, "Oh,
0: she's not a horse. I'm sorry, she's a snake." Okay, so now I think it's time to turn our attention to the fate of dragon children. Is a dragon child really more likely to succeed in the world than children born under other signs? Yeah is
1: is the is the the magical thinking involved here? Is that giving them? Uh, Is that projecting some sort of uh, importance on them? Is it giving them a boost? Is it putting too much pressure on them? Um, Yeah, are they going to have opportunities that other uh, individuals are not going to
0: have just because of their birth year? Yeah, well, there was a 2002 Forbes article titled Is Success in the Stars by Virginia Citrano? And that compared birth year on Forbes' list of the 400 wealthiest Americans at the time. That's interesting. Remember that Americans. And what did they find? Well, son of a gun, even in this list of Americans, the dragons came out on top. Forty three of the Forbes 400 or 10.75 percent were born in dragon years, which was more than any other Chinese zodiac sign, uh, which is weird. Yeah. I mean, so maybe there is something to this superstition. But then again, this is uh, this is Americans. I mean, a lot of these people probably are not even aware of what Chinese zodiac sign they are. Yeah. Or if anything, they they probably have just that Chinese menu association that we mentioned earlier. Exactly. Uh, but then there was a there was a paper in Economic Inquiry called Do Dragons Have Better Fate? This came out in 2005 by uh, Kafu Wong and Linda Young. And uh, Wong and Young investigate whether dragons actually have better outcomes in life by looking at data sets from the 1991 and 1996 Hong Kong census. And the authors explain that the Hong Kong census data was used because, one, uh, most of the community in Hong Kong is Chinese. Two, the lunar calendar is used extensively. And three, uh, this census model provides data on other useful variables like level of education. Okay. And so Wong and Young found that in the 1991 census, dragons actually did have a slightly higher than average mean earnings variable. So they're comparing year of birth to how much money you make. It was a uh, plus 4.85% on earnings. But in 1996, dragons had a slightly lower than average mean earning report with a negative 0.22%. Uh, however, they, they said that when mitigating variables like schooling are taken into account, they conclude that the that, quote, statistically, the coefficients are unstable across census years and insignificantly different from zero in most cases. So ultimately, they don't find any strong evidence for the superstition that dragons do better. OK, so an effect on birth rates in some places. Yes. An effect on the actual success level of individuals born in that year. No evidence at all. Uh, well, there you know, as we said, in one of the years there was a slight mm-hmm. advantage, and another year there there wasn't, and they said overall when you compare it to years of schooling and stuff like that, a strong trend does not emerge. Okay. But there could be other reasons that uh that a dragon birth could seem to have an effect. That you could look at the people around you in society or look at yourself and say, hey, yeah, man, those dragons are really great. I want to have a dragon child too. And it wouldn't necessarily have to be economically measurable. It could be entirely based on, you know, sort of human capital or, uh, just, just social perception. And here I want to bring in something that we've talked about in a previous episode, which is the role of the Forer effect, also known as the Barnum effect. We'll use those interchangeably Forer and Barnum in astrology. So if if you, if you missed our episode, something for everybody, the Forer effect from July 23rd, 2015, let's do a brief refresher on it. What, what was the Forer effect? All right. So what we're talking about here is the
1: tendency of people to accept vague, general personality descriptions is highly Accurate and and applying to
0: them specifically. Yeah, this is why these personality tests are so popular.
1: Yeah, know. like like any of those descriptions we made earlier, we say, oh, here are the pros and the cons of year of the the uh, the rat. And if you're year of the rat, you instantly cling onto the things that seem to fit that you know are true, the things you like would like to be true. And uh-huh. if it, if something doesn't quite stick, you just let it fall away.
0: Yeah, and it helps the more general the description is. So there are a few things we found in that episode. Uh, were especially conducive to people judging personality descriptions, especially vague general ones, mm-hmm. as applying specifically to them. One is that if it's supposedly tailored to them by a competent authority, and in some cases a competent authority may include something like tradition, you know, yeah. a zodiacal tradition could be considered a competent authority, or especially if it's flattering or favorable to the dupe in question, you or me uh you're more likely to accept descriptions of yourself that sound kind of good yeah now there was a study on the the barnum effect or the forer effect uh, and popular horoscopes in the journal of psychology in 1983 by Catherine S Fitchton and Betty Sunerton this is an older paper but i think it's it's interesting and it applies to what we're talking about here uh it's also going to be dealing with western astrology not chinese astrology but mm-hmm. i think the same principles can apply in interesting ways So this was carried out in 1983 and what they addressed was the perceived accuracy of astrological personality descriptions. So an interesting starting question is this. Sometimes even non-believers, people who are not into astrology, they don't give it any credence. Will read an astrology-based description of their signs' supposed personality traits and report finding this description highly accurate. So you are a Scorpio, and I tell you what a Scorpio's personality is supposed to be like, and and you're like, "Whoa!" Well, but that's me. <laughs> yeah how could how could they know so much? So they got 366 college students, and they examined. A, individual differences associated with horoscope reading habits. B, the reliability and validity of daily and monthly horoscope forecasts and astrologically-based personality descriptions. And C, the effects of knowing the zodiac sign on the perception of usefulness of horoscope forecasts and on the accuracy of astrologically-based personality descriptions. So we're mainly interested in the second half of B and in C there, how accurate these personality descriptions are, and whether it matters that you know zodiac signs uh so, so they they did they broke it up like this there there were 203 subjects that rated 13 one paragraph personality descriptions on a 10 point scale from not at all like me to very much like me so it might say you know, uh, you're very brave, powerful, courageous, and strong. You love lobster, butter, and jetpacks. Uh, and, and you would say, yeah, that sounds a lot like me, or no, that does not sound very much like me. And so 12 of these descriptions came from a couple of different purse size horoscope booklets. And the 13th was a control paragraph that was known as a Barnum paragraph, or and what it was was playing on the Barnum Forer effect. It was a personality description specifically designed to appear highly accurate by exploiting this Forer effect. Okay. Uh, it contained vague statements that have a very high base rate of occurrence in the population. It was supposed to be the kind of thing that anybody would look at and say, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Some of the subjects got to see the paragraphs identified with the appropriate zodiac signs, so that it would say like Cancer and then describe the uh, describe the personality. Others just saw the paragraphs without the zodiac signs associated with them, and and no indication of the astrological significance. Uh And one of the things before I report the results is that it's it's important to emphasize that this was studying self-perceived validity, mm-hmm. not externally verified validity. So it's what people's idea is of how well it describes them, not how well it actually matches any external behavior. OK, and interesting, too, here is that on one hand we have the
1: description and then on the other hand we have a description with the symbolic power of the
0: Zodiac. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. In a separate part of the paper, one that we're not really focusing on, they found that the daily and monthly forecasts were unreliable. You know, so when it tells you like, hey, what, you know, what you're going to need to do today as a cancer is not choke to death on a hot dog and make an, make an investment with somebody who offers you an opportunity those kinds of things they match those to previous days and and it turned out that these had no effect whatsoever. They, they were not any more reliable for the one zone zodiac sign than for the other one. Yeah they were so specific that they just didn't hold up. yeah the, the these were the forecasts for events but the personality descriptions on the other hand were in some cases found to have some significant reliability and this is the weird thing. they say quote, an average of 4.12 of the 12 personality descriptions were matched correctly by the 17 subjects. The probability of such results being due to chance is less than 5%. Hmm. So that's kind of weird. So when no identification of personality descriptions with Zodiac signs was supplied, the subjects, first of all, they clearly liked the Barnum paragraph the best. Yeah. <laughs> the one they thought that most accurately described them was not a Zodiac paragraph at all. It was just uh, this Barnum paragraph that's supposed to match anybody. But... When the subjects knew the zodiac signs associated with the descriptions, they tended to think that their own signs description was more accurate than that of the 11 other signs. But there was an unexpected finding with one of the two astrology books, the purse book B, the second one, even when the descriptions didn't have the zodiac sign matched with them, people found their own. Hmm. People, you know, so uh, I'm a cancer and I'm reading through these unlabeled personality descriptions. I was more likely in the study to pick the description li- linked with the cancer sign, even when it didn't say cancer. Huh. Wow. And that is weird. That makes me wonder, wait a minute. Is there something to astrology? Well, no, the purse book <laughs> B was not full of real magic. Subsequent analysis of the data showed that, uh, when someone who had at some time in the past read a description of their own signs personality they tended to rate their own signs descriptions as more accurate even when it wasn't identified by the sign thus the culprit could simply be conscious or unconscious familiarity with what the sign is supposed to be like oh, wow. so, so even a shadow of that uh, of that set uh, of that symbol of that sign yeah and these people didn't have to be deep into astrology mm-hmm. it could be somebody like me who I don't pay attention to astrology I don't I don't really know anything about it but I have read the cancer description sometime in the past. And if I answered that way on the questionnaire, it turned out I could look at unlabeled descriptions of personalities and pick the one for cancer as most likely applying to me. Okay. And I just want to read a a quote from their conclusion. They say, two possible mechanisms underlying the effect of familiarity on acceptance of personality descriptions can be proposed. Uh, first of all, having read that as a Virgo, you are an honest person. One self-assessment may come to include the trait honest so in that way, the the personality description, once you've read it, it actually influences how you think of yourself. Uh, back to them. A personality description, which stresses honesty, may therefore be accepted as an accurate characteristic of oneself. Alternately, having some previous information about one's supposed character traits, e.g., I'm a Virgo, Virgos are honest, may give one the opportunity to notice and subsequently recall instances of behavioral confirmation I returned the bus ticket to the man who dropped it. That was really honest of me. Thus, familiarity may operate in this instance through having repeatedly noticed oneself behaving in an honest fashion. So the second idea there is that if you've read a a description of your personality before, you have primed your brain to cherry pick from then on Uh instances of things that match with what you've read in the past. Okay. Okay. And this I feel like this makes particular sense uh when
1: thinking about the Chinese Zodiac, because, you know, talking about how these different Zodiac signs and symbols uh, and how they, they end up casting the shadow on our life. And you just can't avoid it just subconsciously thinking about it. I feel like the the Chinese Zodiac signs are even easier to just casually fall into. Yeah, because they have that animal at the center. They have that yeah. personality that. So, I mean, you you look at the pig. You have enough uh, familiarity with stories of pigs and reality of pigs that you have some idea of what that personality consists
0: of. Yeah, totally. The animal character brings a level of personality to the characterization that I think is just not present in many of the Western zodiac signs. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're stuck with Pisces with the scales or whatnot. Right. Yeah, I always wanted a scorpion. I'm some scales. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if it were more directly tailored to exactly what the things were? <laughs> so it's like, Oh, I'm a Pisces. When somebody puts something on one half of me, I tip over to that side. I'm a cancer and I can't help pinching people when I'm in public. That's right. Sort of exactly. I'm a Scorpio. And some, when somebody cuts my tail off, I uh, don't immediately die. I just can't poop until I die. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But that would be, those would sort of, of course be way too specific in generality. That's
1: where the, the power is. When it comes to a Zodiac,
0: you know, another thing that's interesting about how this applies to society at large is the way God. at which I wonder if something like this could become a self-fulfilling prophecy across generations, hmm. Be- because think about it like this. This is just speculation. This is not based on a finding, um, but we do know that the Barnum effect or the Forer effect through that people tend to grant more credence to the accuracy of vague personality descriptions when they're worded in a favorable or flattering way. So for this reason, I think it might be sensible to guess that dragons are more likely than other people to believe in the virtues of dragons. Wouldn't yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Because the sign, like if you're a pig, some people are going to have some issues with that. In
1: fact, it's worth remembering that uh, there are um, Chinese Muslims, and uh, mm-hmm. I understand for a, for a Chinese Muslim, this can be kind of rather problematic, and you end up not referring to the year of the pig as the year of the pig uh, directly huh. because of the the pig's um, uh, status in Islamic culture.
0: Yeah, yeah, so totally, I I, I can see how ones, uh, like the positive or negative qualities associated with the thing can affect the extent to which you believe in it. Mm-hmm. So if you're a dragon, you might be more likely to believe in the virtues of dragons. And if selective timing and reproduction means that there are more dragons than any other animal of the zodiac over time, especially in, I don't mean across all Chinese, but in, in certain areas where this is a pronounced trend, mm-hmm. this could also mean that there are more adults of reproductive age every generation that believe in the superiority of dragons because they themselves are dragons and thus also aim to produce dragons. So could this lead to something like a runaway dragon effect? Oh, wow. I'm just imagining like a sci-fi story where there's a culture where something like this has happened uh, over many generations and it gets to the point where they only breed a large crop of new children once every 12 years because of the terrible taboo on children born as non-dragons. Huh. I like that sci-fi vision there, Joe. Somehow I suspect that's probably not going to happen in the real world uh, because there are just enough other factors controlling when people give birth. And the fact that, as we've said, it doesn't seem to be that people are are strongly motivated by a powerful belief in the Chinese Zodiac and, and like that. This is the main thing deciding when when they have a child, but that maybe if it's convenient, it might kind of push you a little bit in that direction. Yeah. Even just some scales. Yeah. Some vague, loose cultural knowledge. Even just uh, if you don't believe in the magic of it, but have some positive associations about dragons, it might make you want to do it.
1: Yeah, the sweet spot here seems to be um, not r- rigid belief in it and also not the complete rejection of it, but that place in the middle. Where it, it's not really a part of your daily conscious life, mm. but you cannot escape its cultural hold on you.
0: Oh, I think that's the way most of us interact with our cultural superstitions, right? I, oh, yeah. I know I'm that way that I, I don't, if you pin me down, I don't believe in any of these superstitions. I don't actually believe it's bad luck to cross a black cat's path. I don't actually believe mm-hmm. one shouldn't walk under a ladder. But I know that when there are no stakes involved uh that it might sort of influence the path I take when I'm walking.
1: yeah, exactly. if you if, if uh, you know, all call, things being yeah. equal, which path are you going to take? The yeah. one that looks a little
0: spooky or the one that uh that doesn't. even though I don't believe in it, it's just uh, it's just kind of there. It's a cultural association and and when I'm not otherwise motivated by any other strong factor, it kind of guides me. Yeah, and I think that's the the remarkable thing about this, this
1: topic. It really helps to illuminate the power of myth, the power of, of symbolism, and the power of sort of uh, um, background folklore over our lives. Hey, I mean, that's one of our favorite themes here. Yeah. Now, obviously, we'd love to hear from all of you. Um, what's your zodiac sign? Do you feel it's accurate? Do you feel like it's made a, a marked impact on your life in any way whatsoever? Uh-huh. And uh we know that uh we have listeners who grew up in Chinese households as well. If so, I'd love for you to share your experience with us on these matters, because obviously the, the Chinese Zodiac is going to
0: cast more of a shadow on your life uh, than it did on ours. Oh, one of the things I would love to hear is if you're a person who knows more about the Chinese Zodiac, who understands some of the complexities that are no doubt lost on us. I mean, you know, we we only have the <laughs> that, that placemat kind of understanding, I think. Yeah, placemat, and then you know, so some, some book learning on top of that,
1: but but that's about it.
0: Yeah, if you if you are somebody who knows a lot more about the complexities of the Chinese zodiac and wants to wants to get in touch with us about that, we, we'd love to hear from you as well. Exactly. And hey, in the meantime, head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's the Mothership.
1: That is where you will find all the podcast episodes, including this one. And I'll make sure that the landing page uh, has some links out to related material on the site, uh, as well as some of the resources we used in researching it. Uh, Also, there are videos there. There are blog posts. You'll also find links out to our various social media accounts, such as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. Uh, We are blow the
0: mind on all of those. And if you want to get in touch with us about any of those things we brought up just a little while ago, you can email us at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com.
3: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
2: is getting gas at shell burning a hole in your wallet get the drop app with drop you can earn free gift cards just by filling up your tank download
4: drop now use code drop88 to instantly receive five dollars in points